Good morning. You know, as we were singing today, I was thinking maybe I should have taught on vanity because as you get a little older, you don't want to do things, but yet you're, you sometimes have to. And I was thinking about these glasses, which I knew I was going to have trouble today because I really need them to see everybody out there, but yet I wasn't, I was too cheap when I saw the, uh, the eye doctor to get uh, both the bifocals and... Uh, you know what I mean. So we'll have to think about doing that at another time. Uh, you know, for the past few months, uh, I've been keeping a uh, notebook in my patrol car. And I thought it would really be neat if I could find, and here I go again, if I could find some message boards, because you know they're all around town, uh, either at churches. Uh, or at different places, you see the uh, sayings on, on the message board. So I started in doing that, and I, keep, I started in keeping track of some different things and where they were located. But, you know, over the few months that transpired, I, I'd find one now, now and again, and then I'd either forget about it or I wouldn't see anything. And then, as you know, we all get these lists from uh, the Internet, uh, things, you know, spam and things you don't really care to receive, but I received a uh, product intelligence test top 10 list that I was going to use, a day, use today. And uh, I had that all planned out, and I was at the uh, dinner table yesterday morning, and Jamie walked in with this from the religion page of the Capital Journal. Now, we don't read a lot on this page, but she just happened to see it, and it's getting, it's called Getting the Word Out. And it's different signs on their message boards at different churches. And so I thought, oh, great, you know, this comes out in the paper, and I was thinking about using this, so I thought, well, hey, I'll do this as a start. But as you can see, this is from the Unity Church of Christianity, and it says, you are as free as you want to be. I thought, oh, hey, all right. Now, some of this you can't read because the signs are too small, but here's one from uh, the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship Church, and it says, We are not punished for our sins, but by them. Huh. And I think the uh, person who authored that was L. Ron Hubbard, I believe. Okay, now here's, here's one from the Mennonite Brethren Church. Give God what's right, not what's left. That's good. That's good. Now here's one from Calvary Lutheran Church. Visit us on your way to eternity. Not bad. Not bad. Now here's one from St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. It says, in the dark, follow the sun. Not bad also. Now, the ones I had written down, if I can find them here, this is from the Gage Park Baptist Church. Warning, exposure to the sun, O-N, may prevent burning. Okay, that's good. Now, this is from, uh, this is not from a church, but it says, all those who wander are not lost. I'd have to think about that. But that was on a sign at the Cardinal Janitorial Supply. 
Now this was at Countryside United Methodist Church, and it says, heaven or bust. Which I thought was a little, little unusual. And I'll do one more. It says, decisiveness. Give me an answer, yes or no. And that was on a message board at Quinton Heights Elementary. I thought that was interesting. Uh, okay. Well, while I'm at it, uh, I will do the top ten list real quickly. Now, this is a product intelligence test list that you'll find on different products. And here are the top ten. Number ten, on bottle of pancake syrup contains genuine imitation flavoring. Number nine, on a bottle of laundry detergent, remove clothing before distributing in washing machine. Okay? Number eight, on a bottle of palmolive dishwashing liquid, do not use on food. Okay? Number seven, on bag of peanuts, warning, contains nuts. Number six, on Nitol sleep aid, warning, may cause drowsiness. Number five, on children's, on bottle of children's cough medicine, do not drive a car or operate machinery after taking this medication. Very wise. Number four, on packaging for electric clothes iron, do not iron clothes on body. Okay. Number three, on Tesco's tiramisu dessert, now this is printed on the bottom of the box. It says, do not turn upside down. <laughs> Number two, we only have two more. Number two, on a box that contains Tony's frozen stuffed sandwich pouches, it says, cook before serving. Now, number one on the product intelligence test top ten list is, on an electric hair dryer, do not use while sleeping. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's get to uh, some serious business. Uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 23. The scripture says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, of course, we know that the author of Psalm 23 was David, himself a shepherd, the son of a shepherd, and later to be known as the shepherd king of Israel. Now, this morning I'll be referring to some passages in the Old and New Testament. Be looking at Isaiah, Jeremiah, John, and Hebrews. The other day I was looking at the King James Study Bible, a 
commentary for uh, Psalm 23, and I'd like to read some of this commentary to you. It says, The psalm has been a favorite of God's people through the ages and with due reason. It expresses as simply and clearly as any the role of God as our protector and provider in life. Now the charm of this psalm rests on two figures of speech. The Lord is compared to a shepherd and the believer to his sheep. You'll find that in verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord is likened to a host with the believer as the guest in verses 5 through 6. Uh, in Isaiah 40, 11, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. In Jeremiah 31, 10, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare in the coastlands afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Now in the New Testament, in John 10, 11 through 16, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now in Hebrews 13.20, Scripture says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Now, Continuing on with the commentary, it said, Believers are never pictured in Scripture as mighty lions, independent and self-sufficient. They are sheep who are dependent on their shepherd for his provision and protection. The believer is more than a dependent sheep. However, he is also like an honored guest, since the Lord prepares a table for him. Connected with this honored position is abundant provision, vindication before one's enemies, and eternal celebrations of God's goodness. Now, when David stated, the Lord is my shepherd, whom did he refer to? Well, he referred to Jehovah, the Lord God of Israel. Now, his statement was confirmed by Jesus Christ when he was God incarnate amongst men. He declared, and we read this already, but he declared in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, to get a further description of uh, who the good shepherd is, let's turn to Colossians 1, 
15 through 20. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. We know who the good shepherd is. So let's talk about the sheep. Now, if we talk about sheep, you automatically think about livestock. And if you think about sheep, if you have or have any background raising sheep or around sheep on a farm or a ranch, you know how hard they are to take care of. They are probably one of the hardest uh, forms of livestock to take care of. Uh, they take meticulous care and endless attention. And one thing about sheep is they often wander away. They become lost. And very often they fall prey to predators, such as coyotes. We know if you've ever lived on a farm. At night, uh, you can very often, if you have the windows open, you can hear coyotes at night, and boy, do they howl. One or two of them can sound like 30 or 40. But they fall prey to predators like coyotes and cougars and wolves. Uh, but we really know that when we talk about sheep, the psalm doesn't refer to livestock. It refers to mankind. And it refers to us because we often wander and we often become lost. And quite often we fall prey to sin. And what I'd like for you to do is take a look at your own life. Look back before you knew Christ. And uh, remember how you wanted to always go your own way and do your own thing. And if you look at Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. Now, even if you know Christ, there are those situations or temptations that will come knocking on your door. And instead of uh, seeking God's wisdom, uh, we substitute His wisdom with ours. And not only if it's a serious matter that we should be prayerful order over, but very often, just our daily walk will very often, instead of calling upon Him, we will do our own thing, go our own way, and become lost. Now, in Kansas, uh, 
we have some mighty nice roads and bridges, courtesy of Sean and people like Eric, uh, that are really great to, to drive down. And, and you know that's a fact if you've ever driven in the state of Missouri, because basically you take your life in your own, own hands. Those roads are so bad. But anyhow, think about if you've ever driven down one of our Kansas roads, one of our state roads, or a federal highway, primarily your state roads, you'll see this. You'll see sometimes a sign on one of these county roads, and it will say, travel at your own risk. Low maintenance is what it will say. And uh, those are the roads that you have to be wary of and not travel down. But very often we do that. If we travel down that road and take that detour down that dead end, I think we've all been there. We know where we eventually end up. There's an analogy that we use in our shop, and it's one about driving down a dark tunnel at night, and all of a sudden you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you're thinking, oh, great, you know, I can see the end of this, but it turns out it's, it's a train, you know, it's, it, it's the headlights of the train, and it's coming right at you. And that's just another analogy of traveling down that road. But if we do falter, if we do take that detour and go down that dead-end road and end up where we do, there's one thing we can always be assured of, and that is he is always there to pick us up. And you ask why, and most of you know, it's because He loves us. He gave His life for us. If you'll turn to Luke 15, in Luke 15, uh, there are several parables here. One, the lost sheep and the lost coin, and of course the prodigal son, which Mike touched on uh, last week. But in verse 1 of chapter 15, Scripture says, Now all the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he told them this parable, saying, What man among you... If he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which I, I, I lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, if we go on in the Scripture in verse 8 and talk about the lost coin, it's, it's another, another parable. And it's the same thing. It says, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house? and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. 
In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, many of you may know an author by the name of uh, Philip Keller. On his books, you'll see W. Philip Keller. Uh, here's a book that he authored called A Child's Look at the 23rd Psalm. Now, Philip Keller passed away a few years ago, and he was the author of around 35 different books, many of them bestsellers. We became acquainted with this book in the early 80s uh, through a couple of missionaries that we knew when we were in Abilene. One day they were passing through the town of Ulysses where we were stationed at and they brought the kids this book. There are a lot of interesting insights that I didn't realize from reading this book about how you compare sheep and people. They are so much alike, it's unbelievable in so many ways. But this is really a great book for kids, a very insightful book. Philip Keller was born in Kenya, which is uh, located in East Africa. And uh, he and his family raised fine cattle. Not some of the cattle that you'll see in, in certain countries that look like they don't have very much food, but cattle that are well taken care of and, and are well bred. He also trained in agriculture. Well, after a period of time living in Africa, he moved to, migrated, he and his family, to uh, British uh, Columbia. And he purchased some, uh, some land in British Columbia near the coast. And he had enough money to buy just the land. He really wanted to purchase cattle, but he just didn't have the money. But he did have the money to purchase a flock of sheep. And so this is where this book comes from. He also authored a shepherd looks at Psalm 23 from his own experiences with sheep and the human race, and also this book called Lessons from a Sheepdog. Uh, in this book here, he tells a story about once he purchased the flock of sheep, the dog that he had just wasn't the type of dog that would uh, be good around sheep. And I don't know if you know much about Border Collies, but uh, Jamie's brother, who lives in Jefferson City, Missouri, has a Border Collie. His name is Perry. And he gave us an example one time of, uh, and, and you have to understand, they live kind of in the middle of Jefferson City, but the city has, and he's lived there 20-some years, the city grew around them. And he lives high up on a hill, and I suppose he has 10, 12 acres of land there. And it's all, all his, and a lot of it is a wooded area. So he had a big barn and a lot of, lot of different uh, uh, things there he could do. Uh, he raised chickens. And he, and he told us one time that he walked out of the house, and he saw the border collie, Perry, herding the chickens. Well, what, this is what these dogs are born and raised for. This is what God intended them to do, to herd sheep, to herd cattle. So anyhow, going on with the story, 
Keller was looking at a newspaper one day and he saw an ad in the paper. A lady had a border collie, a young two-year-old border, border collie that she wanted to get rid of. And so he drove to this address and found this dog in a yard, in the backyard, and the lady had it chained by its neck and by its leg. And it was not a friendly dog. It was a dog that would uh, bare its teeth at you, it would bark at you, it had, did not want anything to do with anybody. But he thought, well, since this is a young dog, I'll take it and see what I can do. So he took this dog home, and he had a nice pen with some straw in it, and he'd give it food, and he'd give it water, but the dog wouldn't take either one. And so after a period of time, he became very concerned about, you know, what am I going to do with this dog? You know, I certainly don't want to have to destroy it. So eventually what he had to do was release the dog. What I'd like to do now is read this true account of what took place. My wife, thrilled and excited by the beautiful dog, brought out a heaping bowl of food. I fetched another dish full of water for her. She ignored both of our offerings. She refused to touch either the food or drink. This went on day after day. I was utterly dismayed. There was no sign of a positive response. Her form became gaunt and wasted as day followed day. In a bold and desperate act, I undid her leash and set her free. In a flash, she was gone. Like a fleeing phantom, she vanished into the woods. I wondered if I ever would see her again. I drove up and down our country road in hope of finding her. I called at neighboring ranches. I combed her fields and ocean edge, but no sign of lass. In the anguish of my search, I began to understand a little of the sorrow God endures. Amid all his endeavors to draw us to him, again and again we refuse his benefits offered to us. Belligerently we rebuff his love and concern. Yet in spite of her indifference and unyielding resistance, I had an enormous empathy for the dog. I longed to redeem her. I was consumed with a desire to make her into a loving, loyal companion. I yearned to see her rise to the potential that lay dormant within her. All these hopes dashed into dust until one evening I looked up onto the edge of the rough rock outcrop behind the cottage. There she was. I decided to take food and water up to her lookout. Every morning it was gone. And yet every evening she would be back. Every time I approached her, called her by name, or whistled, she vanished, spirited away like smoke whisked away in the wind. I began to wonder if this distant dog would ever become truly mine. She did not mind eating the food set out for her. She drank the water poured out for her. She relished the total freedom she had been given. But she was not mine nor was I hers. Caught up in this standoff, the gracious Spirit of God brought home to my heart with great clarity 
the predicament in which people put themselves before God. The Master comes to us in our plight. He offers to take us into His family. He spares no pain to provide all that is necessary for our welfare and commitment and contentment. He speaks to us reassuringly. He calls us by name. He sets us totally free. Yet the personal response of most people is to recoil from Him. They resent His approach. They refuse to respond to His overtures of compassion. Now he goes on in the book. One night, a few ewes and lambs grazed up near the rock where Lass would lay. I saw her sit up, cock her head, and watch them with great intensity. Perhaps her latent instincts to shepherd sheep were coming to life. Each evening when the day's chores were done, I would direct a few sheep toward her, hoping this might somehow help establish contact between us. But nothing seemed to elicit her positive response. I began to wonder if my overtures of love were in vain. The dark prospect that she might have to be destroyed loomed even larger. This was the most poignant lesson I learned from Lass. It was she who eventually must make the decision whether or not she would come to me, entrust her life to my care, allow me to control her conduct. As her new master, I had done everything I could within my power and sovereign love for her. Now she, in response to my compassion, would have to choose to come to me of her own free will. Yet ever drawn by my overtures of concern, the last thing in the world I wanted was to have this dog destroyed. Just the thought grieved me. I cringed from the very prospect of losing this lovely creature. God's word is very clear in this whole matter. He does not come to condemn us. He does not desire to destroy us. We ourselves choose what end, what our end shall be. We are free to follow our own feeble ways, or we are free to follow Him who came to deliver us from the despair of our own dilemma. It was with such truth surging through my spirit that I would go out at twilight to try and draw this irascible creature to myself. Steadily, my hopes grew dimmer. The crucial hour of final reckoning was just around the corner. My spirit would not always strive with Lass. Her prospects were fading. Then one summer evening, the sun was setting in a spectacle of golden glory over the western horizon. The mingled colors of rose, lavender, gold, and scarlet were reflected in the sea. In the foreground, my flock fed peacefully in the pastures at the ocean's edge. It was utterly breathtaking, a scene which transported one into a wondrous serenity. But softly, almost imperceptibly, amid my reverie, I sensed the hesitant, first faint touch of a warm, soft nose touching my hands held behind my back. A thrill of exquisite delight swept over me. Lass had come. The distance between us had been crossed. Irrepressible joy swept through me, and wave upon wave, hope flamed anew. Clearly, I could see now why Christ told us emphatically there was tremendous joy in heaven 
whenever a strained one came home. I could understand why all the hopes, desires, and dreams of God for His people, when brought to reality, set the angels singing. I could grasp why it is that in a single soul's response to God's love, there is a reason for celestial celebration. That from Lessons of a Sheepdog. From a Sheepdog. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your love and Your mercy. And thank You for always being there for us, no matter what road we take a detour down, even though we know that there are times we shouldn't go down that road, even though when we do end up in that position, Lord, we know that You're always there to take us back. And Father, I thank You so much for Your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's in His name we pray. Amen.